Good evening. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, we're going to continue with Sri Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. Uh, we're going to recap the 70th Anucheta. Uh, it contained a lot of information. But if we look to the very opening statements by Sri Jiva Goswami, in his very opening statement to the 70th Anucheta, he kind of gives us a, a, a pretty comprehensive recap of what is the proper understanding of the Siddhanta, of the Madhvagodiya Brahma Sampradaya in regards to the nature of the material manifestation and in relationship to the fact that it is a real energy of the real Supreme Lord and it has a real purpose. All the other philosophies that uh, he's going to be discussing in this Anucheta, which we have covered, don't stand up even to very uh, meticulous scrutiny, which is what he's what he's he's taken great pains to show that uh, these other ideas just are not. Are not applicable when it comes to the material universe. So he opens up the Anucheta as follows In this way, we have established that the universe is a transformation of Paramatma's energy, Shakti Parinam Vad, and refuted the theory of illusion, Vivarta. Therefore, the world is not false, like a rope mistaken for a snake, as held by the followers of Ivartavad. Rather, it is perishable like a clay pot. So, although the universe is not false, it is not fundamentally real, sat, because it does not exist in all three phases of time, past, present, and future. Since both Vivarta and Parinama, as understood by the non-theistic Sankhya philosophers, have proven to be inadequate explanations of the reality or non-reality of the world. Only that substantive, which is free from these two defects, such as Paramatma or his intrinsic potency, can be ordained as real. He concludes the very first part of the Anucheta. In the statement, my dear, prior to its creation, this existed as reality, sought alone. The pronoun this, idam, refers to the universe, which is described as sat. This is because the word sat signifies both Brahman and the universe in its subtle form as the energy of Brahman. In their state of non I'm sorry, in their state of mutual oneness. Therefore, the theory of Sat Karyavad is applicable only by accepting the cause as the subtle potential state of the effect. In the first part that you read, mm-hmm. you said that it was the universe was real but not Sat. It can be looked at, yeah, it says that. Although the universe is not false, it is not fundamentally real. Sat. It's not fundamentally real. Uh, it's not real in the same way that Brahman is real. 
Right, but it's still eternal because it's either subtle or gross. But yeah, that we're going to get into the next Anacheta. I'm just, that's the way it's stated here. Not fundamentally real. Fundamentally in the very, in the strictest of, of terminologies and primarily not fundamentally real because of the way it's looked upon by its inhabitants. They, it's, it, the way that the material universe is perceived by other philosophers and the way it's even perceived by its residents is, is it's not a real, it's not real in that regard. Although it's a real manifestation of the Lord's energies, practically everyone's idea of what it is doesn't conform with, with the reality of, of what is generally conceived of as far as the nature of the Supreme. They either think it's an illusion or they think it's for their own pleasure, They're, or there's, they buy into the misconception, the false ego. They accept the fact that you know the manifestation of their body as a reality, and they they accept that manifestation as their very self. So I think that's more of the mood that Jiva is expressing here. It's not fundamentally real in the way that everybody thinks about it doesn't mean it's not real in the way I'm going to explain it to you. And he explained it's real because its cause it's re is real. And then we went through a whole lot of arguments and what were those? Those were, well, because the cause, every aspect of the cause has to be in the effect and, you know, and then all those arguments that were presented and the way it was, the back and forth went, well, actually, because it has a real purpose, we can say it's real. That in and of itself is significant. So from this place, from this beginning understanding of Parinama Vod, that it's a manifestation, it's a it's a modification of the Lord's energies, Jiva's going to take the discussion onward. So this Anacheta has been very much dealing with the refuting the fact that it's not an illusion. It's not an illusion the way you would think of an illusion. And this is very much tied into the Adwaitan idea that it is simply all an illusion. Well, as we discussed in the last class, where did it begin? If you even want to look at it from that viewpoint, like false, like Confederate money, or like gold being presented by a blind man to someone and saying, "Here, it's gold." How would you know it's gold? You can't see what it is. So, even with an infinite regress, we have to come back to some point. There has to be some point where there is some reality. Otherwise, the whole universe has come about basically something from nothing. Something real has come about from something that didn't exist to begin with. Then, then we have real problems. So, Jiva's going to take the discussion further, 
and we'll go on to the 71st Anucheta. And this Anucheta can be looked at as a general explanation of the manifest and unmanifest states of the universe. The universe exists in unmanifest form during dissolution. So some great pain is going to be taken here to show that the universe is always existing in one form or another. So Jiva opens up this Anucheta as follows. Therefore, unlike the silver in an oyster shell, the universe is not non-existent when in such an unmanifest state within Paramatma. According to the logic of Brahma Sutra, as a piece of cloth is not different from its threads, so the effect is not non-different from its cause. Firstly, the universe in its subtle state remains unmanifest. Secondly, even though it appears to be in the same class as illusory silver because of being observable like that, and that's the key to your question, observable like that, it's observable like an illusion. We, you know, it's observed generally and, and looked upon as an illusion from those, that group of transcendentalists that perceive it as such. And it's, it has an illusory existence for those who, who buy into the illusion of the way it's presented to them. That you're the body and that, that uh, you know, this world is here for your uh, independent enjoyment. So it appears to be illusional because of being observable like that. It has a different type of existence. And thirdly, because it is not devoid of transformation like the Atma. It does go through transformations. Its existence is not single and unchanging. In order to establish this meaning, the Shruti speak the next verse. So, Jiva Goswami continues with the prayers of the personified Vedas and continues to unpack those prayers um, and use those prayers as, as the basis upon which he's establishing these various uh, philosophical understandings. So, this is from the 10th Canto, 87th chapter, 37th verse. If this world did not exist before, then it would not have come into existence at all. The Shrutis are speaking. If it didn't exist before, it wouldn't come into existence at all. Therefore, the inference is falsely drawn from the world's dissolution that it is a mere appearance in you, who are of one taste, Ekaras, and that it is present to awareness only in the interim period before, between creation and dissolution. So it's a wrong conception is basically what the Shrutis are saying that people people accept the fact that when the universe wraps up it no longer has any any existence. It does have existence. That existence is unmanifest. 
That's basically what the Shrutis are saying. Don't be an illusion and don't think that when the world wraps up, it's all over. It, it ends. It's like a blank slate. No, that's not the way of the recurring course of universal manifestation and dissolution. And that the present to aware, and it is present to awareness only during the interim period between creation and dissolution. It's the only time that it is. Therefore, we compare it to the various types of phenomenal objects derived from their elemental source materials. Only those who have not yet awakened discrimination believe that this false play of the mind is the reality. This needs really unpacked and that's what Jeeva's going to do. Because there is a class of logicians or we could even call them transcendental logicians who accept the universal manifestation as simply a mental construct. You constructed it with your mind. You manifest the world you live in by, by just mental ideas because Brahman is unchangeable. Well, it's a fact. Brahman is unchangeable. You're your limited idea of what the absolute reality is, because basically that's what we have with the Brahman conception of the supreme absolute truth. We have a, we have a limited idea that's accepted by a class of transcendentalists, this Brahman conception, and they're limiting they're limiting themselves to a very a very um, limited conception of, of reality. Yes, they have. They they they're not allowing their their idea of spirit spirit of the supreme spirit of of a transcendental reality to extend beyond Brahman. That's that's the that's the extent of their acceptance. It's not material. Anything that we, anything that we attribute to our existence, it doesn't have. So in our existence, we attribute a lot to, to the fact that there's uh, diversity in life. Well, if the world's diverse here, the diversity creates what? It begets pain and pleasure. Well, spirit can't have that. <laughs> That's only available here. So, I mean, we've gone over these arguments again and again, but that that's, we're into Paramatma Sandarbha, and the Paramatma Sandarbha is all about putting these ideas to rest, which interfere with an acceptance of the supreme reality that embraces personality of putting aside ideas of the supreme reality that do not embrace that the supreme 
can have multifold energies and can manifest in different forms. Parashya Saktir Vividaiva Suyate. This this whole idea of, of of the Supreme, you know, having having action and still while possessing all that as its spiritual swarup, its spiritual nature, while possessing all that, it can still remain completely independent and uninfluenced by the energies that it manifests. This is a problem for the Advaitins. It's a major problem, and therefore they... They argue vehemently against it. So it's hard to, to shake them out of that concept. And the concept is well rooted in the culture of the day, even up to this day. So it's not just Rupa's pronouncements and his approach to, to explaining things that's relevant to his time of 500 years ago during the advent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it comes through to the present and we see these ideas are underlying and have even, even they filtered into Western thought, they filtered into Western, Western logic, they filtered into Western scientific uh, logic and ideas. So this whole idea of impersonalism, of not seeing the Supreme as a person, is, is, is very much in, in our culture now. So knowing this and having, having, a, having a deep under, understanding and appreciation of the true nature of the Supreme Lord is... It's truly a benediction because everything is working against that conception. Otherwise, there's some faith, but that faith is based on what? And really, when you shake up, when you really, when somebody's world is shaken, yeah, that's pretty much, they throw that out the window when things, well, why is it that Bad things are happening to me, a good person, you know. So where's my God now? You know, I just lost this or lot. You know, material nature is is very is a is a very trying experience for us. So the personified Vedas, they're now dealing with this idea that. When the world wraps up, there's nothing. But they're saying, no, it's actually there. It's actually there in an unmanifest state. So, Jiva Goswami impacts it a little. The word yat here should be taken as if, yadi. The pronoun this, idam, refers to the world. Before agri means prior to the creations. So, if this world did not exist before the creation then it would not have come into existence. 
in the way of a sky flower. The lack of argument. I'm sorry. The lack of the augment is an archaic usage. Hmm. Let's go on. The Srutis also say that this material world certainly existed prior to the creation. For example, my then we quote from the Chandogya Upanishad, which we've already quoted. My dear, prior to the creation, this world was present as existence alone. And indeed, the universe existed as one with the self prior to the creation. Now, all this is elaborately explained in the third canto of the Bhagavatam. The whole nature of the manifestation, how it comes about, what uh, you know, what the sarga is, atrasarga, visargascha, the ten subjects of the Srimad Bhagavatam, two of them deal with the primary creation and the secondary creation. And if we look to that primary and secondary creation, the whole entire creation to be attributed to the Lord himself. Even Lord Brahma, when he was charged with the secondary creation, basically what Brahma does is he 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 deals with the personalized enclosures for the individual jivas. I mean, that's his primary job in creation. The supreme, uh, at, you know, first as Karna Dakshai Vishnu and then as Garbo Dakshai Vishnu, all the uni- all the the universe has been manifest, and all the all the elements are there. So, what Brahma does is he, based on the based on the template, the impression that he has, he's received from the Lord. He creates all the bodies, and also all the demigods. And he starts with, you know, he starts with the, with the, with really the, the progenitors of man. He starts with the Kamaras, Narda, these expansions of those personalities which, which, uh, represent the, the qualities that will lead mankind in a successful execution of their material existence. So first, you, I mean, you have the, the, uh, the Kumars. And the Kumars are manifest directly from Brahma. No mother involved. Here's the Kumars, or Narda Muni. Kumars were there and Brahma's thinking, wow, I got it now. These guys really know everything. Because they're the representatives of knowledge. So what's knowledge? Well, knowledge combats ignorance. In the material world, we can see it's a place of ignorance. So he manifests the Kamars and he's thinking, now I got it down. We can take care of the material world. I can combat ignorance. So (laughs) he instructs the Kamars now, go out. Go forth and be plentiful. Populate the world. The Kumars, oh, no, we'll have nothing to do with that. 
<laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> the problem is they're, you know, they're, they're fully situated in the mode of goodness. So they, they have no, they have hardly any. Understand in the material world there's no pure mode of anything. But they have hardly any inclination towards passion or ignorance. Hardly at all. So here's Brahma. He's a creator. Well, creations mean he's, he's got work that needs to be done. He's in the mode of passion. So out come the Kumars, and it's like, okay, I have the Kumars here, and they're going to they're gonna help keep knowledge in the universe and let them go forth and be plentiful. And they're saying, no way. Now, Brahma's not overwhelmed by, by passion, but it's his primary mode of nature. He gets a little upset. He's, he's pretty much... He can control it for the most part. So he keeps it in, but he, it comes out anyway. And it comes out from him in the form of Lord Shiva. So out from, from Brahma, we now have Shiva. So now we have the other end of the equation. We have the mode of goodness and we have the mode of ignorance, which is Lord Shiva's charge. So then, understanding he's not going to get anywhere with the Kumaras, he manifests other progenitors of mankind. But we note in the third canto where he's entered into a state of samadhi to make sure that he, just like we heard about Srila Vyasadeva, Srila Vyasadeva, when he, when he recognized that he wanted to do more as far as presenting the essence of Vedic knowledge to human society, he entered into a state of, of samadhi. He prayed intensely and the Lord appeared before him and he was able to, to actually have darshan of the Lord and he saw what, what was incomplete in his presentation. And we have the Bhagavat Purana. So, similarly, Lord Brahma, he prayed, and he entered into samadhi, and he actually had darshan of the Lord. And this kind of happens at the end of, at the beginning of every day of Brahma. At the, at the beginning of every day of Brahma, we have the same situation. He wakes up, he's on a lotus, and he, he goes about the creation again. And it's interesting that this particular day of Brahma is the first day of the second half of his life. So that's the day that we're in right now. The first day of the second half of his hundred years. It was 51. Or 50. Yeah. One of those. <laughs> so it's the first day of the second half of his life. But we notice that 
from the Bhagavatam after he after he had darshan of the Lord and offered his prayers uh, requesting the ability to create and do his service in a way that was in line with his, the Lord's desires. Uh, in the dialogue there, Krishna tells him that yes, you'll be able to do everything just just as it needs to be done. Everything will be executed entirely by my mercy alone. And he says this in a very unique way. Krishna says this to Brahma. That everything, every aspect of what you do, everything that you do, Everything that happens, happens by my mercy alone. It's all my mercy. So you don't need to worry about you getting it wrong. Basically, it's all happening by my benediction, by my mercy. So it's it's an interesting, if you really think about it, even the secondary creation of Brahma is really... It's 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 done by Brahma, but it's done fully under the the merciful dispensation of Krishna himself. The Paramatma feature of Krishna, we must say. So the point being made here is the universe doesn't come along without a plan and even when all the when the when the universe comes about at the very beginning this is after it's all the universes have gone back into karnadakshai vishnu even then the shrutis are saying you couldn't have a material creation if there hadn't been a prior material creation they have a logic to that so the Shrutis also say this material world certainly existed prior to the creation. So it was there before. So they're just supporting the circular manifestation of the material universe. Now we understand it as unmanifest. So it's either manifest or unmanifest. So Jiva Goswami continues, in this way the universe which is in its causal state which in its causal state is situated in a subtle potential form as one with you, Paramatma, later expands into the visible created world when present in the state of being an effect. So a cause, an effect. The cause being unmanifest, situated within the Paramatma, and then manifest. Thus, only because of the dissolution due only to the fact of the world's destruction, is it inferred that this universe, universal creation, is a mere appearance in you, like silver in an oyster shell, present to awareness only during the interim period of the manifest creation, but without existence before or after. This inference is false. It is not substantiated by any means of valid knowing. Praman. This is Jiva Goswami's conclusion. There's nothing 
you just there's no other conclusion you can come to. Therefore, since we accept that through your inconceivable potency, modifications take place in you, who never deviate from your own essential nature and identity, Swarup, we compare the world to the various developmental pathways or the systematic means of unfoldment of the manifold sensory phenomena, such as pots or earrings, from their elemental source materials, such as clay or iron, but never with illusory silver. So, any way that we're going to look at the universe is going to be based on the fact that it's a real manifestation of the real potency of the real personality of Godhead. There's no other way that we're going to accept it. No matter what what other logicians may put forth. Such being the case, therefore, only those unawakened to discrimination believe or have the notion that the universe wherein the false play of the mind take place is the reality, or Brahman is that form. The sense is that Brahman cannot be the substratum of a purely imaginary universe. Again, putting forth the opponent's point of view. That point of view being, it's simply a mental construct of Brahman in sattva in Rajas. So, how does Brahman become influenced by that? A little bit of the commentary will, will kind of solidify this proper understanding. Shijiva Goswami further refers to the prayers of the Vedas personified to establish that the universe is not imaginary, like the silver seen in an oyster shell, nor is it real like Paramatma. So, it's somewhere in between. Who does not undergo any modifications? This verse is specifically cited to establish the principle of Sat Karya Vad. So Sat Karya Vad is part of Parinama Vad. Sat Karya Vad is that philosophy whereby we understand that if there is a cause, then that cause will carry through to the effect. The difficult with with some of the proponents in the way they understand this is, well, it has to have a high degree of likeness to the, to the source in order for it to be considered a reality. And in the last Anucheta, this was gone over extensively. If it has utility, that in and of itself, when it comes to Paramatma, if, the, if, if Paramatma can utilize the world for his purpose, what more uh, likeness do you need? He's satisfied. He's, he's, he's accomplished what he wants with the manifestation. So in that regard, it has it's a fulfillment of his if it's a fulfillment of just his will, then that in and of itself should prove to you its validity. 
Why do you need, why do you continue to argue that it's just an illusion? Because that's basically the point. Um, and I know it seems in, in going over these particular anachedas of Srila Jiva Goswami that it's, it's really pounding the post. I mean, we get it. We understand it. All right. Okay, it's 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 real, but it's not it's not real like like Brahman. So it's not Brahman. But there's a lot of misconception there. So he's he definitely feels a need, and we can see that that he's not alone in that regard, because through this whole all these ideas and all these thoughts that he's put forward, what do we find? It's all going back to the prayers of the personified Vedas. Now, if you've read the prayers of the personified Vedas, like in Krishna book, you just read it, it's like it goes on for pages. And you just say, wow, what, you know, what, uh, what, why so much? I mean, just, Say, I love you, you're God, thank you very much, and, and uh, you know, go take prasadam. I mean, come on. But the prayers, they just seem to go on. But this is all the philosophy that's presented there. It's presented in every which way. It's presented to counter all different misconceptions. It's presented to establish the nature of the supreme absolute truth beyond a shadow of a doubt. And in such a way that we do not become ourselves doubtful of the proper conception of the Supreme. So the basic principle of Satkaryavad, Satkaryavad, reality, that what comes from reality is itself a reality, not Vivartavad, which, well, it's just, an illusion like the silver in an oyster shell. So Satkaryavad is, it's real because it comes from Sat, it's Sat. But it may not, just because it comes from the Supreme, whatever way we look at the Supreme, Brahman, so we look at the Supreme as Brahman, because it comes from Brahman, doesn't have have to have every single matching characteristic of Brahman to be real. That's it's not that doesn't that doesn't really make sense. Okay, so the principle of Satkaryavad is that the effect exists in the cause in a subtle or potential form. Therefore, the Vedas say that if this universe did not exist in potentia. If it didn't exist in potentia, if it, there wasn't a potential to manifest the universe prior to its manifestation, then it could never at all be brought forth into actuality. Nothing can come out of nothing. Nor can a specific effect arise from any cause whatsoever. Specific effects are produced from specific causes. In other words, during the period of dissolution, the universe was enfolded in Paramatma in an unmanifested state. According to Satkaryavad, nothing new is ever created. 
Everything exists all the time in either an unmanifest or a manifest state. Modern science also agrees with this theory in that they say that energy can never be created nor destroyed, but can only be transformed. Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, also, in discussing with his dear friend Uddhava, said something similar. This is from the 11th canto, 28th chapter. Krishna makes an almost identical statement to Uddhava. That which was not existent before and which will not persist later is also non-existent in the interim. Its intermediate existence is in name only. So it's an interesting logical conclusion. Something doesn't come from nothing. Something doesn't come from nothing. And something doesn't become nothing. Something is always something. But it's changing from one manifestation to another. Some logical uh, counter-argument can be made. Because the universe is not eternal, it did not exist before its creation, and it will be destroyed after some time, its present existence is thereby, thereby also disproved by, its, by this principle. But then why do we perceive it? The Vivatavadi replies that it is superimposed onto Brahman like the illusion of silver on an oyster shell. So they don't really accept that. They, they, they say, well, if it didn't exist, if it doesn't have a manifest form, then you say it's manifest and then it becomes unmanifest again. Uh, haven't you just really disproven your own theory? Because, you know, but, uh, but you can perceive it in its interim state. See what they're saying? They're saying that, you know, in one state and then it becomes unmanifest again. So, therefore, because you perceive it, haven't you defeated your own, your own argument? Again, you have to understand their overall mentality, though. Their overall mentality is one of Brahman is unchangeable. Brahman cannot manifest any changes. The, the Vedas personify refute this by saying Mrisha, meaning this inference is false. But their inferring is false. Why? Because you are of one taste, ekaras. Then the commentary gets into an explanation of the fact that if if and when you, as a Brahmavadi, as a Advaitin, if and when you experience the Supreme Brahman, your experience of the world at that time is over. It's such an overwhelming revelation, ekaras is what it's referred to here. It's such an overwhelming rec realization 
that you'll cease to recognize the world as different, differentiated in any way. Interesting proposition. In other words, you just become Brahman realized and all the distinction distinctions that you see in the world, they're gone. That realization even in and of itself is enough to dissolve the whole idea of the misconceptions of anything being other than Brahman. Therefore, it is concluded that the potency, Shakti, of Paramatma undergoes modifications by his inconceivable will without any corresponding alteration of his own intrinsic nature. If you just experience his intrinsic nature, you see he's not. there's no modifications there. And that he brings forth the universe from its unmanifest state. And here again, it, it's coming from one, this word, ekaras, in the statement of the personified Vedas. Because you are one of one taste, ekaras. Okay, referring to Brahman basically is what the Vedas are referring to, implying that if one once intuits Brahman, there is no possibility of any other object as a separate independent entity because of becoming apparent to consciousness. It's an overwhelming revelation. Thank you all for your association. Mm -hmm.